welcome to the Beginner's Handbook. I'm Jordan. I'm Jamie. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about mystery in your tabletop RPGs. Yeah. So I think we'll just open straight up with a couple of questions. So first of all, if you're a GM, how have you done mysteries in your games? What's your secrets, tips or tricks that you've had to make a game mysterious or interesting for your players? Mm -hmm. Uh, For the second question, we'd like to throw it over uh, to your players or even yourselves as GMs as well. Is it, do you like mystery? Are you more about action? And you know, what's your play style? You know, are you more a investigation guy? Are you more an action guy? What's your jam? Yeah, yeah. I mean, mystery in a game. Um, I think in general, I'll keep most people interested. But as we'll kind of talk a little bit further on, sometimes if you if you kind of overdo it, it's it's probably one of the quickest ways to switch people off and just you can I think you can lose a table quite quickly if you if you go too heavy down the mysterious route. But um but yeah, but we'll we'll get into that in a, a little bit. So things that we'll be talking about, um we'll be talking about using ambiguity, we'll be looking at reveals and backstories, we'll be looking at um like a player's expectation and when it's time to either kind of throw them a curveball or sometimes to kind of play that down to then make the big reveal bigger and more exciting um, using hints as well they are going along dream sequences you know all sorts of different things we'll be looking at there and then again we'll be looking at kind of things to avoid to kind of <laughs> to stop yourself from killing the mystery yeah, because there's a lot that I've been guilty of. I think one of the first mm. games I ever ran for you guys, it was like the mystery. After about seven hours of playing a game, it doesn't matter how much mystery you got. Everybody's knackered, especially at what, half three or three in the morning, I think, before the last hour. Um, mm. So yeah, I mean, things like we'll be looking at build, doing build-up, no payoff, actually giving away things, not like accidentally giving it away. I had a blunder actually a couple of weeks ago in a game and I totally was like, oh, so you mean this character, character X? And they're like, it was that character when you was that? And I was like, oh God, what have I done? But so ra- rather than like four pies and fumbles, it's more about just telling people it for no reason or even mm. between games, but we'll get into that all later as well. So, uh, and I, you know what, we'll leave the, the good one for last when we mm. actually get to it. But that's basically all the topics we'll be covering today. So... Yeah, that's pretty much it. I think for us as well, you know, what for you, Jamie, then what about mystery? You've got mysteries, but you've mm-hmm. also got puzzles. Do you yeah. have something about that that's a... Is there something that separates the two for you? Yeah, so, I mean, to me, the difference is a mystery is something that will get you thinking, but it doesn't necessarily need to be solved to make progress you know it's something that can be explored it's something that can be left whereas a puzzle is something that needs to be solved to reveal an answer whereas something that's a mystery you know might you might never come up with an answer to that it might remain some mysterious event that doesn't get solved but you know floats and adds to a story or to background or whatever whereas a puzzle is a challenge that either presents a block that you need to overcome or you need to work your way around it. That, to me, is is the, the way I would kind of 
differentiate between the two of them in a the game. Yeah, I mean, and even though I think that's a really good break between the two and what they both are, um, but that doesn't obviously, and uh, we both had this in our games, either if we've ran it or played it, where <clears throat> just because they are kind of sort of separate technically, it doesn't mean you can't add the two together to make yeah. something mysterious and but both once they figure out that what the mystery is all about you know it gives them answers to progress story or whatever so yeah it's really cool and it's a good way to go into it so Mm -hmm. i think then why don't we speak about building mysteries yep and in games Mm -hmm. let's say from gm's perspective to start with at least yeah Mm -hmm. so i think really the main thing for me then i think the first one is like the easiest plot tool although you can go way too far with it is ambiguity. Yeah. Um, it, like a good example that I've came across with role playing games are if you're running, if I'm running Call of Cthulhu, it's a good example. A big part of like Call of Cthulhu or Delta Green or any of these Lovecraftian based games, even things like Cult Divinity Lost, which is quite cosmic almost in nature mm-hmm. as well. Um, a big part of these games is like the fear of the unknown. Yeah. And it's, especially <clears throat> for horror and building tension, the unknown is a great way to build up suspense and kind of get people, get their brains turning about games that you're running. Yeah. So that's where ambiguity is actually, in terms of fear of the unknown, that's a great thing to support ambiguity. Um, yeah. Certainly even just for the encounters that you might have in a game. Yeah, yeah, because like, when it comes to something that's like horror-based or, or anything down that line, <clears throat> if you make some of the descriptions a bit ambiguous, then what it means is the person's imagination is going to take over. Mm-hmm. So rather than you going into the nth degree of detail and going, right, okay, it looks like this, and then this happens, and then you know, you're you're describing something that either scares you or puts you on edge or whatever it is. If if you can leave it ambiguous, then the player will fill in the gaps themselves and they'll make it something that scares them or you know whatever so that I mean that can be hard to do you know that will take practice especially I mean me personally I think horror is probably the most difficult thing to do well it is for me and part of it is for me is because I watch so much horror and I don't really get really scared by any of it because I've seen it so long so when it comes to actually constructing something scary I'm like I still don't know what's scary because I don't get scared um, by a lot of things so I mean talking about ambiguity there's a game that I've been playing that um, is called Delta it's the Systems Delta Green which for, for anyone listening or watching that doesn't know it's basically like Call of Cthulhu in the modern day it's more like the X-Files almost yeah. and it is kind of the old-fashioned mm-hmm. um, kind of dilettante type stuff that goes on in the 20s in, in the base Call of Cthulhu game. But there's a scenario called... It's called Impossible Landscapes and I've seen about... Of that campaign, what I've personally seen is probably around, I'm trying to think, about, about 20-something hours or something of it. Mm-hmm. I still don't have a clue what the hell is going on in that game, but it is awesome. It's so good. It's so weird. It's kind of dreamscapey, and it's all very. Sometimes that stuff can be too much. Like you just, it just gets a bit boring, or it's just too weird and doesn't make a lot of sense. Whereas this game doesn't make a lot of sense in good ways. Mm-hmm. So while it's not super scary, everything that's happening in it is so ambiguous. 
and I'm sitting there going, what the hell is going on? And like the bits that I'm like keeping track of, I can't put together because I don't know what the hell is happening. But that's really keeping my interest going and I'm constantly Mm -hmm. trying to spin out what's happening. You know what I'm like with games, like jump into all these conspiracy theories. And usually when we're playing games, I'm sending you like, you know, oh, I think this is what's happening. And you'll send me what you think's happening. And it's like all these different theories. And most of the time we're not even close. But it's like that's part of the fun where we're trying to connect these threads and solve Mm -hmm. that mystery. Or maybe even solve, you know, it might be are piecing together these parts of the puzzle to unlock maybe the yeah, next yeah. stage of the game um, but usually it gets you going and gets your mind racing especially mm-hmm. so for monsters it's good for the actual the horror element but in terms of story it really gets people thinking at least as far as I, I've seen in, at my own tables or at others um, it certainly gets your players going mm-hmm. like what's going on and they become invested in actually trying to solve it like the Scooby, yeah. um, like um, the Mystery Gang and all that, you know. Uh, certainly in the last few games I've run, that was a big part of what I was doing, was throwing in all these mysteries. They're going, what the hell is going on? And then when they found out, it was just like, boom, look at that. Um, and they had a great time. Yeah. Um, again, just... I think that's that's the thing with it. Like we'll, we'll touch on this in a little bit, but just with what you're saying there about not having a clue what's going on the danger is that that drifts mm-hmm. into dangerous territory but yeah. I think we'll hold fire in that just now and we'll we'll revisit that when we come to the kind of <laughs> the kind of warning section you know um, Yeah. but another thing for mystery um, that again I don't know how much people use this in their games and again maybe that's something that everybody can let us know through the different social media channels or if you're on YouTube watching this then in the comments underneath which is revealing elements of your character's backstory so I mean with with it from a, a, a GM's point of view then <laughs> fingers crossed you're working with the player at this point when when you introduce this otherwise the the most stunned person at your table is going to be that player that suddenly discovers that they've got a wife and four kids in Hawaii or whatever you know whereas if you're working with the player and you go right okay your character is you know again if we're sticking to the kind of Cthulhu element well okay, you've came up with your character and they're an investigator and they're from, you know, New York in the 20s. Well, what happens if they were in First World War and they suffer from flashbacks? But during these flashbacks, what we'll do is we'll start to introduce some of the Cthulhu mythos or, you know, whatever. So you're working with them and then you end up in a kind of sixth sense, I see dead people kind of thing. Right, but the rest of the players that are there don't realise that that's what's going on so at first you seem completely coherent and then gradually as the game is progressing you start to become well from their perception, their point of view you start to become less coherent, you start to become less less with it and then eventually the players might then puzzle out that actually there's something different going on and then on and on and on that story goes 
that to me is something that that can be really creative because you've got rather than it's just the DM's idea that they're introducing to kind of keep everybody engaged with the story they're actually getting somebody that's involved with experiencing the story they're giving them a little bit of insight to it but ultimately it then gives the the GM, the DM another challenge which is although they're giving this person some kind of sneak peeks and a kind of quick look behind the scenes that they then need to do something else to keep them in their toes and then to keep the kind of the mystery element for them. Yeah, I mean, this is something it's, it's interesting with the player backstory stuff because it lets... Like, I know a lot of GMs that will really want to get involved in that mm. process. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's actually pretty cool. Um, mm. Although I'm somebody that tends... As a player, I tend to go, like, create a character as quick as I can. I don't put too much thought into it. And I usually, like, roll stats or I random generate something. But if I'm rolling stats, I just roll it. Stats first, in order, and then I go, what character's this? And I build something that I think's mm-hmm. generic enough that I can then go to a GM and say, how does this fit into the kind of environment you've got, whether it's a pre-gen yep. one or if it's <clears> one they've made? Uh, I've had people then say, well, what what would you like for this? And then they give you 30 questions. I'm kind of like, right, okay, that's enough. Stop. <laughs> Just tell me what you think works and I'll do it. Yeah. Um, but one thing, I've actually seen from two sides, so I'd be interested for your point of view. So we've got, you've got, like you've got a guy, mm-hmm. and you've got um, like your back. Let's say your backstory is quite general, and I've got a guy, and I've decided I want him to be super ambiguous for the players. So what what's nice about that is players at the table can actually work to try and figure out that backstory and things, you mm-hmm. know. And their GM might help, like me, build all of that. But the players will try and figure it out, you know. Or other players, sorry if I'm being um, the mysterious stranger. Uh, but one thing I've seen recently, and actually quite, it worked quite well, although I guess it takes a certain amount of trust for, for the actual table, you know, the GM needs to be able to trust everybody as well as the players need to trust each other with the things that they should and shouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, if you play a lot of Call of Cthulhu and you know a lot of Lovecraft stuff, you probably know everything that's... Like, you know the lore enough to basically know, okay, that's this monster, or you know not to fight things all the time. You know, but most of the time when I'm playing games with folk, at least when I'm running them, these people either don't know that or I trust them enough to not meta game the hell out of it, you know, and, and actually still play dumb. Oh, is that a monster? Oh, no, you know, and actually kind of buy into it a bit. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to player backstory, I've seen it happen where while people go off and make their own individually and then bring it together and then each player's trying to figure out each other's character. I've also seen people make characters together at a session zero mm-hmm. and at, openly at the table they've discussed like with each other and the GM's discussed it with the players openly and um, with others around like the, what would be somebody's secrets or what's their mm-hmm. backstory, what's their twist and all that. And what's interesting, I've seen, sure that might not be ambiguous for the players but that almost sets up an agreement for the the, the table for their characters to know how do we try and solve that for their characters and it ends up becoming a thing where they can almost support each other's stories into the into the mm-hmm. actual game. It's quite interesting because certainly the last group I've seen that happen with, it went nuts and now they all knew the guy's backstory but they actually allowed chances for that guy to be 
implementing it or injecting it into the game or kind of them kind of supporting it a bit or maybe even teasing out that backstory a bit more by aggravating the character, you know, mm-hmm. to do certain things. So, I mean, just because it's ambiguous, uh, well, we spoke about ambiguity, but it's kind of the same thing for a character backstory. You know, having it for the players, it's good because it lets you all figure that out together. Mm-hmm. But that don't let that stop you actually discussing all that as players and just letting your characters work that out because you'll have a lot of fun kind of building that story up yourselves, you know, because you're almost adding to the backstory at that point. big part of Call of Cthulhu with backstories is once you start getting your bouts of madness, you can just, as a GM, you'll go in and you'll t- change parts of the backstory. Hmm. So even the player's own backstories become ambiguous as they start to, well, they know you've added or made the change, but the hmm. characters don't know the difference now hmm. when you go insane and it now says that you hated your mother but actually you were a mom- mama's boy the whole time, but now it says you murdered her. You're like going, huh. What's going on there? So, but I anyway, that's mm-hmm. something I find quite fun, um, especially what you're saying, building the stories. It's dead collaborative, and it's always a lot of fun. And even as a group, building backstories for characters, it's a lot of fun as well. Mm-hmm. Everyone kind of gets a bit, a bit of the editor's tool out. Although there is the saying, "Too many cooks spoil the broth." So, yeah. just be careful when you've got eight players, because it's going to take forever to get through two characters. Yeah, yeah. But I so I think then that kind of leads us on to we spoke about ambiguity. We spoke about characters having their own secret backstories, or secret for the players at the table, mm-hmm. or and the characters, or secret just for the characters and the players, all are kind of in the know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a thing even with backstories, um, you can subvert people's expectations a bit. Yep, subversion of expectations actually can really really help add that twist to your game, especially if you're and we'll come into hints in a minute, but if you're dropping hints at places or if you're alluding to certain things and building mystery and you're kind of focusing that mystery into an end point that isn't what the players expect, either the players or the characters, but probably best the players, um, that can always just... It's a total blast. Mm-hmm. It's amazing when you can turn around and look at everybody's face and they're like, what the hell is going on? It's so much fun. Yeah, yeah, and again, kind of going back a little bit to earlier on, you know, kind of done the more see dead people thing. Well, mm-hmm. that's, like in terms of pop culture, that's one of the biggest kind of subversions of expectations. You know, everybody in the sixth sense, or at least most people were going along going, well, of course he's a psychologist. And then the big reveal at the end, then it, you know, it took most people by surprise. So... Um, and that's the thing like, it can be as simple as mm-hmm. in your game create somebody that is a bit gruff doesn't have a lot of time for people likes wearing black you know lives in a castle or a cave you know put every single arrow pointing towards this is the bad guy this is the serial killer this is you know whatever and then at the end of it, I revealed that he was the guy that was, you know, was actually tried to save the day at the end of it. You know, create that element of, wait a minute, we were so sure this was the case that the players feel a bit lost and that they're back to the start and then they have to start puzzling it out again. And again, we'll kind of touch, I think, more on the pitfalls of that because, again, you can run into some... Kind of relatively 
obvious ones with that, um, but the the main thing with it is that at the end of the kind of reveal of what's actually happening, that it makes the players question rather than it makes them feel cheated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing about the subversions of expectations, like I've done a lot of these kind of cosmic horror type stuff, and when I started running Cult Divinity Lost, it's, it's all about these hidden realms or like you've got somewhere inferno it's like hell I can't remember exactly but it's all these worlds that are influenced by all these it's like angels and demons but it's just the angels are really bad and the demons are like really really bad you know mm. um, and so but knowing that it's like both the like, at least one of the other players had read all of that stuff so I was kind of like I don't want to do just a strictly kind of lore based game and it's the same with a lot of Cthulhu games I run now I actually don't really use a lot of love like default Lovecraftian lore sure it might be hidden and boiling away in the background Mm -hmm. but it's never usually front and centre it might be just like a zombie story or something you know it doesn't need to be always that some shoggoth is coming in to suck off people's faces or anything like that Um, but with Cult what I ended up doing was we'd played a few games of it but we also played um, rather than having all the extra lore stuff we played a few kind of normal games where it was more around, we played like backstory building games. So it was more like, why is this policeman turned PI, you know, and how mm-hmm. did he get his dark secrets? And for those who don't know cult, oh, well, for you who doesn't know cult actually, so I've not managed to play it, as uh, you've got advantages, you get disadvantages and you've got dark secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what builds your character. They usually have mechanical benefits. And I think dark secrets are just, uh, they're like narrative bits and yeah. hooks that the GM can use and you can use mm-hmm. so so some of the games we've done were backstories so why let's we use these characters before and then said well because we can't get everyone together let's do wee one shots with each other either individually or as a group like to see how you got that backstory and let's build it up so we actually made games that are building those bits of backstory um, but none of them were very cosmic or you know mm. there wasn't monsters jumping about or anything like that so one of the games that we were kind of tailing off some of some of that stuff you know they were dead set the players were like cool we know it's some killer going about it's gang warfare happening mm. and it's like you know well it's kind of like gangsters versus mobsters you know i was kind of yeah. doing so they were all fighting <clears throat> and they were solving all of the stuff they did end up solving the mystery but at the end, the mystery turned out to be some cosmic... Well, I'm saying cosmic. It was more cult-related horrors, but it was basically the veil being lifted and mm-hmm. all of this stuff was a manifestation of this evil demon thing. So, But then they weren't expecting that. They were going, oh, cool, because this was tailing off a kind of mini-campaign yeah. of just real-world issues. Mm-hmm. And then it was, like, ripped from under them, almost literally. It was the ground being torn open and showing the real stuff. And while cult and things like Cthulhu people were expecting mythos because mm-hmm. we've done so many not mythos with no intention of changing that you know yeah. I, I don't don't really think I bothered thinking about changing it until I think a couple of nights b- before the actual game night and I said well, let's throw that in because they're mm-hmm. going to sit and solve the mystery and kill the baddie and they'll feel great but I was like nah I still want them to maybe almost die though so boom throw in some monsters um, it was great fun you know and, and they didn't expect it yeah yeah so did you just picking up on what you said, did you deliberately run the games as being very real world so that at some point, not necessarily specifically with that game, but at some point in the future, 
when you then used the mythos in the game that it was a bigger surprise and it was putting more I suppose players on the back foot at that point because they're not expecting it and then they're, uh-huh. they're in a point where they're then having to puzzle out what's going on because all of a sudden their world has literally just changed yeah oh man that's a lot of them their time almost ran out. There's a whole mechanic that you can... It doesn't matter. So, the two things. I always wanted it to boil away. Like a lot of the games I do, they might... Just because it's, it's good for inspiration for me. I'll maybe go look at some weird story online or use like Lovecraft background or I'll check out the cult lore and, and use some of that. My intention for it was to keep it normal, normal, normal. And then at the end, they would find some kind of occultish tome or occultish thing, either it be an altar or something that basically says there's something really weird going on actually that's maybe been the cause of all the symptoms I've seen. So rather than it being an overt there's monsters kicking about, I was going to use it as just a wee way to finish tying off that kind of four part game and just if they wanted to do something more supernatural then Mm. okay we've now got the start of that. But so the, the intention was I would still surprise them at the end. But as we get closer to the game, I thought this would make it so flaming cool if there was monsters. <laughs> so they see they did see some of that. Yeah. But then that's when I started adding doors closing behind them and things, and like they were starting to hear all this stuff happen. Um, and the impact was actually a lot better rather than it feeling totally left wing, because well, one of their characters was somewhat into a cult and I think their backstory if I remember right I think one of their dark secrets was to do with some ritual or they were victim of a crime and the crime was something occultish so they were kind of always guessing that but mm. for them it was it was funny it was almost the the opposite of subverting their expectation because it was like the whole way along the game they were constantly being proved wrong and then right at the end they were actually proved right and they were like vindication yes um, and then they finally got to brag and use some of their skills that they never got to use for the four games they played <laughs> but um, I saw the intention was to surprise them and kind of, it was really just to dangle a cliffhanger at the end mm-hmm. just to get them if they wanted to do something supernatural we've got a very clear and easy one to kick off from but then I threw in some supernatural at the end and it was just a bigger surprise it was more like a sucker punch I think because they were about to go out and then it was like bam back of the head they're like what the hell's going on um, and it was wild I think no one died, sadly, but you know that tends to happen in my games. I do my best and nobody dies. Mostly because of my crap rolls, though. <laughs> Even as a GM, I'm cursed with low rolls. No, weak wrist action. That's, yeah, that's, that's, exactly, what down to. that's exactly what it is. And it's such a pain. This is why I like Cthulhu, though. It's like you do want your ones and your twos, whereas in D&D and every, practically every other game I've played, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tailor the system to suit you, not the other way around. Have you had any, just, I'm trying to think, have you had any times where you've been playing a game and, like, you, let's say you've had an idea of what's going on and you, it's just like, bush, it's totally twisted, it's totally different and it's, it was actually a positive experience, maybe we'll talk about how it could maybe mm. be negative if it's too weird and too silly, but have you had something that was actually, like, a whoa, that was a nice, pleasant surprise or unpleasant surprise but still good? It's hard because it's probably we've not had something dramatic I think in our well, core group like that for a while because most of our games have been fantasy so it's been a bit less like that. Yeah, and at what point does it become dramatic when you know every week you know you're doing something heroic or you know some yeah you know, a griffin's flying down and 
I don't know, <laughs> kills the leader of your camp in one swoop and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, not that I'm referencing anything there. Um, but I can't really think of anything specific that's happened, but I do know that we've had games where we've went in thinking, you know, we've went down one line of inquiry, and normally where it's worse is when, like, two of us think the same thing, so that when we then both start talking about it, then the other player that's there, if they're kind of 50-50 on the idea, because they hear the like the two I was talking about it, for example, they go, well, I can't, it must be that, because I was kind of thinking that mm-hmm. too. So we kind of steamroll down this one track, and then it turns out that it's not the case, just because we kind of, we took the first clue that was there and kind of ran with it, <laughs> rather than stopping and analysing the kind of, the broader <laughs> picture as we were going on yeah. and as we were getting more information, because you're going, no, 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 it still works, it must be that, it must be that. Just ignore that new evidence, who cares? <laughs> I know, it's, it's fine, just ignore it. Um, but I can't think of anything, again, like you're saying, particularly dramatic or like properly kind of shock horror, I think. In general, the games that you and I are in, it's, you do get that here and there, but it's always, it's always kind of done within moderation. I think I don't think it's kind of, it, it's ever done so that it's a huge dramatic reveal, mm. and I don't think it's ever done to the point that, you know, it's 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 so small, but it happens all the time. I think it's kind of. It's just enough that it's naturally part of the story, rather than it. It jumps out because the danger is as well like with any of these techniques, if you like, with any of them, that at the end of the game, the players talk about. Oh, I see because that was kept vague or ambiguous. Then, blah 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 blah. I because it was ambiguous, blah 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 blah. Rather than they talk about what actually happened with the story, or with like um, like the backstory reveal or anything like that, they'd go ah when you revealed that as part of your story, and you know blah 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 when you revealed it as part of the story, and they keep talking about the actual the event rather than the kind of like the context behind it, the story behind it and, and all that sort of thing so that I think is the the danger that you can run into and because because it's done kind of just enough in our sort of main campaign that we play I can think more about how the story's progressed over time and things mm-hmm. like that rather than specifically you know the kind of the dramatic change or anything like that yeah it kind of sounds like there's not really you've not had an experience that's because there's a difference between just like having a good game and like having a a a hook at the end that just Mm. that just gets you right in the back and just pulls you back into the game because a lot of the stuff now a lot of the stuff we've done it's kind of mid-campaign as well just looking back at it so i mean that doesn't mean you can't have stuff like that like there's plenty of ways for that to happen, one example I'm thinking of is the Pulp Cthulhu game we done. Oh, I don't know, but you were in that first game. Um, 
but there was a game in but you did join it mm-hmm. it was the one where we were playing TV repairmen yeah. and we went to a town and for me while it wasn't a plot point and I just liked it as a, as a GM mm-hmm. where, so we were doing just a purist Cthulhu game it wasn't pulp we got to a certain point through it and then we kind of slipped into the dreamlands but when we'd done that we actually get handed the pulp Cthulhu rules mm-hmm. and I was like Oh, that's because that's not what I was expecting, and I just mm-hmm. liked that from a mechanical point of view because it yeah. kept it fresh. Yeah. Um. So, but that's that's a bit more of an unusual encounter because I don't think there was a lot of story surprises. Um. Although you insta killing me was a surprise, not because you killed me, but just because you insta killed me, I forgot how how much. Yeah. Surprise! It was like it took a range back it when I, I did have to kill you though it was it wasn't my fault it was a GM yeah possessing yeah. me I think yeah I mean to be honest uh, I was also surprised that I took you out in one blow as well I was like oh it makes you remember just because it wasn't a pulp anymore at that yeah. point we were in the purest Cthulhu world when you've got like four hit points and that's it yeah Um. but even in terms of subverting expectations just to give you an example from one of my other games I've been running um, there's a core group of guys I play with a lot who have been playing D&D for a long time. Mm. If you've listened to the podcast before, you've definitely heard about these guys playing D&D for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I wanted to try something different with them because one of the guys wants to do a Star Trek campaign but doesn't want to read the Star Trek rules. He doesn't want to spend a lot of work. And that's that's fine, you know, because there's plenty of systems out there that yep. you can tweak stars without number is a good example. Yep. Um, but I suggested the alien game rules because he wanted it to be boots on the ground. It was going to be hardcore, maybe a mm. bit more scary, maybe have horror elements. And the alien game is just, oh God, it's so much fun. It's so good. Um, but I said, well, to learn them, instead of going away and me giving you a PDF and you need to go learn it yourself, I'll run a series of games. We've still got one to go, actually. But I'll run the one of the games called Chariot of the Gods. It's, I think, the first cinematic encounter that they have. Um, which you'll be playing shortly mm-hmm. um, so I won't spoil anything but one thing that did happen in it was to subvert their expectations not to subvert them intentionally but the system itself done that because they're used to D&D if you, go, if you get hit and go down mm-hmm. it's like ah who cares I need to fail at least I need to get two ones at least to die or be stomped on before I can die but otherwise if I get up my death saves are back to zero it's just nice and easy Everybody's, no one's ever going to die this guy locked himself in a room with a monster and it just turned around and poor guy, I felt terrible because I was like, oh man, they're loving this. And this was the first time he was playing a bold character. He's usually the rational, uh, rational, reasonable, reasonable character. And this time he was like, do you know what? I don't care. Kicking in the door, lock it. And it turns around as a monster in front of him and uh, it just turned around and it killed him in one shot. And he was like, what? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, he's like, where's my death saves? I'm like, you don't get any death saves in this. So I, was, I turned around the thing and showed them the chart that shows the injuries you get. And all this caption says, for those that have played Alien, you'll know what injury it is. It just says your story ends here on the back. So it was like, but, but the thing is, while that wasn't an intentional plot twist or anything I threw in, it, it's an example of subverting expectations that, now, sure you might think oh did he go away upset or anything no he actually went oh my god because that, that's the first time they felt threat at that mm-hmm. level because I'm not protected by three levels of death saves or failed death saves mm-hmm. everyone else at the table instantly went what is going on and they see them die behind the door and all that and they're just going we've got to get out 
and that was the first time that they had that sort of tension in yeah. the group. I started throwing stress dice at them and all that, and they had they had this dice pool, and they can't hold all their dice because they've got so much and most of it's stress, and they're chucking dice like that. It was total bananas, man. It was great, but it's an example of how, for them, they were they're used to and comfortable with potentially life threatening situations because in D and D, it's like God, no one dies in D and D like not often, um, or not easily. And I suppose you can do it easily, but if you do it, you're just throwing a big monster at somebody and killing them, and it's no fun. There's no mm-hmm. challenge for, for you. Um, but for them, that was the first time they were taken out of their comfort zone. They, they had their expectation of what a potentially lethal situation would be like, and the alien system just twisted that the other way, and it had them all scattered. <laughs> it just oh, it was crazy. That was the end of the first game, I think, and it was wild. Aye. Such a good ending. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking of the way that death was described. Your, your story now ends. Yep. That's, that's it's such a good. It's one of it's like critical injury. I can't remember which one it is, but it's like, yeah, and that's not even one of the worst ones, you know. So it's just so good. But I I think then that kind of leads us on to hints and like breadcrumbs. Um, like mm-hmm. they're good ways to start to. I mean, everybody knows you've seen Tom and Jerry for anyone that doesn't actually get that reference you've seen stuff in shows where it's like people t- have like a mouse trap and they put treats all the way up to it you know until the pit, the thing goes into into the trap and it falls on them you know it's breadcrumbs are great because they lead the players um, like hints can the way I see the two hints can be things like you suggest to players whether it be through you're just telling the players because they're just not getting the point you know, just because it, it might be a hard puzzle they're solving or a hard mystery they're trying to unravel. So, but you might give that in person or via things within mm-hmm. the game. But breadcrumbs are more like it's sort of like giving them hints, but you're leading them down a path that they basically follow. And that's a great way to actually, if you mix that in with, if you do that really well, you can actually use that to eventually subvert their expectations mm-hmm. at the end, like we've spoke about. And breadcrumbs can be ambiguous as well because that gets people scratching their heads and thinking of all these crazy theories. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of how I defi- define the both of them. Um, I, I don't know if you've got any different definition or if you've got examples that you can provide. I mean, pretty, pretty much with what you're saying, um, a kind of really simple way of thinking about it for me is a hint is a one-off mm. clue which will appear you know, for whatever situation to do whatever thing, you know, if you've got players going away from the kind of main story arc, so you drop a hint to get them back onto it. So a hint can be kind of reactive to what's going on, whereas breadcrumbs, again, is lots of smaller hints, but to take the players down a particular route, a particular path, and that's kind of the way that I would kind of think about them. Breadcrumbs... There's lots of tend to be a bit smaller because you want them moving in a particular direction. Mm-hmm. A hint is when somebody is careering <laughs> away from where they should be and you're trying everything you can to get them back to doing what they should be doing without having to go, right guys, stop a minute. You're going in the wrong direction. You need to move. You know, you're trying to keep it in character or you're trying to keep it in game or, or you know, what, whatever other way you do it but you're just giving them just enough that they're making the decision themselves and it's still on their own terms 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, an example of like breadcrumbs, I'm kind of, I won't go too far into it, so if it's too vague, tell me to like hone in on it. And I'm just, I'm trying to not say too much because you just might play it at some point. Um, but there's a game called Markborg um, that I've been playing and I've only really run, I've run it a few times now, but I've run the game that's inside the core rulebook, which is a tiny rulebook, but the game's so flaming good. Um, but anyway, so there's lots of things like you can get hints from a seer at the start of the game, you can get hints from a, another character who I wouldn't mention in case you come across him. But basically what's happened in this game, in this scenario is the king's son has been abducted and you need to go and get him. And in return, you don't get executed. That's basically the premise for the game. So you go off to this den and you go in and as soon as you go in, it's like, oh man, this is real bad. Whatever it is, it's real bad. So, but there's constant kind of things that lead you to, to where you can find the boy. There's all these bits that lead you all the way there. Um, and it's great because you don't need to go directly follow those paths or mm-hmm. there's like abstract ways you can kind of circle around to the yeah. same thing um, but ultimately it gets you down to that bit and you, you kind of find what you're looking for and depending on what route you take or who you speak to in what order you can actually hear different stories or different things that suggest different reasons to why the boy was nicked and then you're kind of like wait so the person that's done this has he actually done it or is he actually a bad guy or were you lied to or is that person lying to you to throw you off um, and it's it's a lot of fun because you end up with people you know they're sitting speaking to what who they think might be the big bad guy and they're sitting arguing with each other as players so I usually make that happen like I'm saying that's in character so it's the big guys standing there like this across arms and waiting while their characters argue about should we kill this guy or not <laughs> but it gets total wild but breadcrumbs are a great way that mm. the game uses it it's not a big game but because of that it's very they've done it they've got a very succinct way to kind of lead you through effectively a dungeon crawl and now the main path that you can go is is probably the quickest maybe not the easiest but it's it's the clearest for players yeah. But if you go off the path, they've got a kind of secondary layer or kind of a couple other layers of breadcrumbs they use to lead you down a different narrative story as well. As well as taking you to your end point, you start to get different perspectives and things like that. And it gets people going like, what? It, it builds a mystery really well about what is actually going on in this den in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on what path you go, you might be surprised at what happens near the end, you know? It's a very effective way of doing it, and it's it's well written in that game in particular. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, one of the kind of kind of um, like the use of breadcrumbs in mm-hmm. one of our campaigns. So this was in <clears throat> our longer term campaign that we've been playing again. If you've listened to previous episodes, you'll have heard us talking about it. Where um, we are a group of dwarves who have been kicked out of our home and now we're making our way back there again to to get it back. Nice and simple, there's no kind of overall plot and then we're working our way through. So it's been going on for what, two years now? So it's been going on for quite a bit. Um, and something that happened to us, I can't really remember how early, this mm-hmm. was in the campaign, but a good while back, um, we came across a talking 
keeps changing whether he's a turtle or a tortoise, but he's a turtle or a tortoise. I think he's supposed to be a tortoise, but we keep saying turtle. Yeah. Um, I think is what's happened. Yeah. But we could split a difference. Is the tur- tortoise got the feet or the fins? I think it's a turtle. Feet. Yeah, it's, I think it's that one there. Yeah. Call it turtle. It's easier to say after the like 10,000th time that you end up saying that. Yeah, so the, the talking turtle tortoise hybrid um, that we've got, it originally appeared and we went, oh, okay. That's a bit different. That's a bit strange. Um, yeah, why not? Why not have him talking turtle tortoise? Why not? So he then came with us and we're looking after him and things and he's a bit kind of dim I think that was the best way of describing him at mm-hmm. the start he's a bit dim and you know he, he's got delusions of grandeur and he's referring to Jordan's character as his champion and mm-hmm. telling everybody that he's a god and stuff and we're going alright okay fair enough and, and he was right Jamie he was right breadcrumbs we need, to, we need to ease them into it remember shh come so that is eventually what happened as the game progressed it started to go eh well rather than he's appeared out of nowhere and we've been looking after him and and you know just kind of going about our business and just letting him tag along that actually the more and more and more that happened like there was different coincidences that started happening at one point we get ambushed and when we were fighting to protect ourselves and whoever else was there like a lightning bolt came and struck one of the people like outright dead that mm. was attacking us and the little turtle tortoise went you know that was me that was me showing my power and we're like yeah, well it's a bit weird that somebody does get struck with lightning when there wasn't any storm clouds in the sky but yeah and it is a bit weird that a turtle tortoise is talking and so you know different little things started happening that let us go okay maybe he is right maybe this is what's going on fast forward that a little bit more when we decided that there was something different about him that different events happened which kind of sped up this process of kind of revealing more and more elements about him to the point that eventually he starts kind of taking over and his power starts to grow a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and we are led down this path of actually do you know what is not a good god to have on board he's actually the complete and total opposite he is a a nutcase um, and we need to get rid of him somehow so that whole kind of trajectory that still hasn't been resolved as of <laughs> as of recording this as just now I, I. is again has been going on for two years ish and the clues have been dropped in every so often and is it's been a big 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 long path that it, it's taken us down. Um and again I think later on we'll maybe kind of come back to this but that's kind of that's been the biggest example of the breadcrumbs for me in any game because you know partly because it's been going on like in in real world time for so long Mm -hmm. and as well as that because 
you know, the initial breadcrumbs that you were getting tossed. It wasn't even obvious that there were breadcrumbs and that there was anything going on. Yeah. To us, it was just, this is a new character that is, you know, joined our kind of ragtag band of folk travelling along and we'll, we'll build them a little a little wee pen when we get back to our homeland and they can live in there and roam free and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then it turned out that he was actually conspiring against us the whole time. Yeah, well, I think that really... Now, this is where I suppose the expectations were subverted a bit. And that was... Uh, now, his background was ambiguous, so that was a tick. Mm-hmm. And then, then the the subversions, uh, the, our expectations were changed when I, I think I tried to pull a ring off. I had a finger. I pulled some guy's ring off and I actually pulled his finger off or something. I shoved it in the bag before the, the autopsy guy had seen it. And then we looked in and the turtle was eating the finger. And then that's when he turned into a real baddie. Like, mm-hmm. he might have been brewing in the background... But once eating a finger, it was just a pest from there on out, and they actually just became a, a, a um, baggage pretty much from that point onwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was really great arc for quite for a long time. I'm just surprised I could be bothered with it for the most part. Mm-hmm. But it does get to the point where it's just it just got a bit samey. But we'll cover is, why that is. That's just because he was flattering you the whole time, calling you his champion, and kind of going, "Oh, you're you're the strongest person here. You are you are worthy." I think your guy was actually technically stronger. Um, I just he, had a lot of he, advantage on it. So he was, but that that's what I'm saying. He was he was massaging your ego there. Ah, that's cool. It's all right. Yeah. Sometimes feels good to get sweet nothings whispered in the ear um, until until he had a finger and I was like ah, I can't want to put this thing out the window but um, we'll explain you know I said it got a bit dull but we'll explain maybe why that happened uh, later mm-hmm. on uh, that kind of leads us on because actually in that same game mm-hmm. there was actually some of these going on and I used some of these the thing we're about to speak about uh, I used these more recently in some of my games never really personally done them mostly because I'm not that bothered, but actually I find them a great technique for building mystery, mm-hmm. and that's uh, dream sequences. Yep. So, have you get actually? Could you provide an example? Uh, do you remember any that you you've had in that? Like, let's say it's that game because mm-hmm. I've had a lot in that game. Uh, I had one amazing dream sequence which we'll talk about, and mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. But have you had any that maybe jumps out? It maybe that was a great sequence that either that built more mystery or added to it or helped you solve mm-hmm. some of the mystery in the game. Yeah, so again, in in our, our long campaign, um, like for me, it seems to be kind of almost not quite every other game, you know, that's, that's doing the, the DM a major disservice. But for me, especially with my original character, who never made it due to due to treachery but you know again if you've seen previous episodes you know what happened there and you know it wasn't treachery yeah well te- te- technically it wasn't because yeah. technically it wasn't your character well not technically it wasn't your character but it was still you still you that dealt the final blow I enjoyed two every year, minute two years it. worth of work down the drain yeah that's when you deleted the excel sheet we had I know <laughs> Which out of spite delete <laughs> yeah Um I didn't actually. It didn't actually. The, the, the sheet yeah, still exists. Say. The sheet still exists. Um, Much less maintained now, though. Yeah. Out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> you can do the work. Um, no, but in 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 our long campaign, dream sequences from my original character came up quite a lot, 
especially kind of... Was it quite frequent? I don't remember it being... For me, I don't remember my, my guy getting a lot of open ones. Overall, I would say, like, if... Just, I guess, I maybe had double the amount of dream sequences everybody did. Right. And there was a period kind of... Not at the start and not at, towards the end when my character never made it, kind of in the middle where they happened a lot. Yeah. And one of these dream sequences, um, again, they're, they're all dwarves, so the, my character ends up in a ballroom and there's lots of people all dancing about mm. and things and there's a woman that's talking to him that's kind of guiding him through and she's trying to warn him about a danger and he's trying to find out, number one, who she is, you know, why he's in a ballroom, what's going on in general. So I'm, I'm trying to get as much information as I can because in the back of my head I'm going, right, this is a dream and at some point you wake up. So, conveniently, dwarfs. Mine the information as much as I can, like get as much out. So, I, as the sequence is going on, I asked the DM, right, who are all the people dancing? What's going on here? Do the rules, do the checks and then discover that it's actually different dwarven gods that are all dancing about and then that's fine and then all of a sudden somebody bursts through a door and it's like a man but he's got I can't remember if it's a deer's head or a helmet with antlers on it and mm -hmm. he basically crashes the party but as soon as he does that each of the gods start kind of vanishing and evaporating and then eventually the woman that the character's with, she eva evaporates, disappears, and then wakes up as it's over. That, to me, was the kind of, the biggest dream sequence that happened because I, th I think it was the first one. Or mm -hmm. if not, it was one of the first ones. It's a big one that I remember, so maybe it was maybe yeah. a big dramatic first but, dream but again yeah. that's the thing so whether it was the first one in the campaign or or whatever but it was one of the biggest because this mysterious figure appeared who he didn't recognise and even when he woke up the next day and went to like priests and things and went here's what I've seen here's what I've seen here's what I've seen Get have you got any answers it was a no it was a leave it with me Um, you know all that sort of a thing so then it was to be investigated further into the campaign but there was so much that was going on and that's me kind of really really condensed it down you know there was the different things and there was the specifics of the warnings and then seeing that and then the women saying oh no you know we've not got long you know blah, blah. everybody starts disappearing so there was a lot going on and there was a lot to take in and then on top of that, there was also the lore of, right, okay, well, there's like 20 plus gods here that you now know exist that you then have to kind of do background filling in to figure out who they are and, you know, why they disappeared and, and all this, all the kind of, all the extra stuff with it. So that was the kind of, the sort of big one for me. And then from that point forward, like any time that we were we were turning up to a, a new place one of the things that 
um, my character would be doing would be, you know, trying to figure out if there was anybody who was there who could potentially answer that religious question and, you know, all, all these other different things. So it gave, it gave my character a kind of a sort of side shoot along with the main story that was kind of his personal burden, if you like, um, to try and figure out what's going on and as well as try to figure out what was going on with that dream, that one event, also the kind of why me rather than, you know, somebody else because he wasn't a particularly religious character or anything. So this kind of prophetic dream and warning, you know, why was it him and, and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, so that's the kind of main one that sort of jumps out for me. Is there anything with you or maybe a different campaign? I, I think, I think firstly, what for me, why dreams can be really good is it can be a good, in terms of building mystery, as they can be a good kind of way to either drop hints like mm-hmm. what you're talking about or bread cut, maybe lead people with breadcrumbs that maybe link to the waking world thing that they're doing. Um, but it can also be ways to build up mystery of impending doom, you know, like yeah. an, an impending enemy, I should say, uh, that maybe they're about to encounter some evil big magic person and they don't know that they're going to experience that yet. So it might feel a bit defunct in, in the moment, but as they start to see the, the, the dream almost manifest, it just builds suspense and it starts to solve that mystery and let everything fall into place. Um, and I think what you've kind of gave an example of there's a good a good example of that, but for me, um, probably the dream sequence. I'm trying to think of a dream sequence that actually helped build mystery because the one that I had in the campaign was we'd seen like previous people in the past, like there was like there's some old kind of boss man that we used to have, and then there was some side character, but that was really just a fight. There wasn't to me. There wasn't any build up of mystery or. Or I mean maybe potentially breadcrumbs, but nothing my guy would have been bothered investigating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think maybe one that I've used. Hmm, trying to think, so I'd done one recently, not recently actually, it was a while ago now, where the guys have been following this big evil cult type thing for a long time in a D and D game, and I'd never used a dream sequence at this point. So but anyway, we got to a point where they were going home, they were approaching the finale of the second act. And as they were kind of going, I was like, let them rest and I'll give them a dream sequence because they, they were thinking about doing five or six different things and they had this intended anyway. But the dream was effectively about this cult and kind of the cult coming out of the darkness, like in the dream, like literally doing it and surrounding the players and just killing them all and things. Um, and they were like, oh, it's fine, we're in the dream, it can't hurt us. And then the first big hit hit them and it was mm-hmm. like 20 hit points. They went, what? Now, it didn't, wouldn't have killed them, but they didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fun. Um, ambiguity, they built some suspense. But um, anyway, so that really... What it done was a couple of things. It gave them a hint and a bit of breadcrumbs to let them know that there was an impending threat coming. Uh, they knew that what they thought might have been solved like 20 games before mm-hmm. hadn't. There were still elements of them there, and actually seen one of the characters that survived as well. Um, so it, it kind of basically led them onto basically the main path and let them go with a bit of vigour to explore that kind of part of the story um, now what some of them missed one of them thought it and then thought oh, nah, nobody else thinks it so it's not the case but it alluded to this big finale where 
people basically the the baddies came and started slaughtering everybody in a town during this big festival. Um, which was actually alluded to in the dream quite a bit and it was that like initially the surroundings were at the festival and then it was the, the darkness fell and these guys came in and killed all the players so there was a lot of kind of um, what's the word like kind of basically the same sort of same sort of it was a metaphor for basically what was coming and it basically they, they were like oh crap it built a lot of mystery like what the hell's going on who's still alive what's going to happen next is it going to happen soon uh, it turns out it was it was actually the same uh, it was the next game it all happened and they went it all came true and as soon as the, the baddies started appearing they knew straight away they seen these guys in red robes and went oh crap that was in the dream mm-hmm. and it, it just it was awesome it just for them it just uh, it was the only time I've seen them really panicked in D&D and the only other <laughs> time I've seen them more panicked than, than that was Nailing when one of their heads yeah. got popped open and uh, yeah it was, it was awesome <laughs> so good the panic's so cool but aye anyway that's that's kind of our experience of dream sequences, but ultimately what they're great for, as long as you don't go too abstract and think you're some David Lynch type, you'll probably think, you'll probably be able to incorporate maybe parts of the story, even answers to some of the things that players have questions for, but embed it in a way that they have to think about it a bit, just let it sit. Um, there's no and If they don't get it, there's no harm in doing another dream later down the line that maybe mm-hmm. makes it more clear. But it certainly is a great way to impart answers to people uh, in a way yeah. that helps them figure out mystery that's in front of them or maybe it'll give them the answer to a puzzle. Like in Lord of the Rings, you've got the speak friend and you can enter answer. You know, if your players mm-hmm. were in a similar situation, you could have the answer given to them in, in a dream sequence, you know, and mm-hmm. that would open that puzzle door. Yeah, um, It's a great way for you to inject different things without mm-hmm. needing to derail story or yeah. anything like that, which is why that actually turns out they're quite good. And, and the GM that we have for the games that mm-hmm. we play, it tends to be quite good at them as well. So Yeah, yeah, and just exactly like you're saying, kind of tie in like a hint together with a yeah. dream sequence, like you're saying, you can have what whatever the situation is that happens in the dream, but you can directly give them an answer mm-hmm. that they're struggling with, so rather than try to hint to give them enough information for them to figure it out themselves that you directly give them it but you're keeping it in game you're keeping it within character so again the dream sequences are good for that as well Um, just exactly like you're saying yeah so that kind of leads us on I mean this isn't really I suppose a big point but one thing that mysteries are good for is or at least if you've got a dramatic moment in a game one thing I tend to try and do now is tie off the ends of my games with something that's... It doesn't need to be some big dramatic plot twist, but just I like to do something where I can summarise what's happening and then lead... Just give basically a lead into the next game um, and really having a good ending or something that you summarise like the last game that the guys played that was in eight... No, I shouldn't say that because you're going to play it. <laughs> the, the last thing that the guys played in another campaign I'm running, Cursor Strad, where... They, they were leaving a game... Uh, yeah, I'll just do it. Um, so basically they were doing this big fight with uh, Baba Lazaga for anyone that's played Curse of Strad. And it, uh, the game ended where they were getting these dream sequences as they started in, basically interfering in her territory they were, they were getting these dream sequences about or just very vague ones. 
but as they got closer, one of the games ended where we actually spoke, like we, we'd kind of described what they were doing, they'd rested, they'd got into the location that she's in, which is the ruins of Berez, um, and they found somebody that told her, oh, there's an evil person here, it was some, something to do with the Order of the Feather or something, for those who know the game. And uh, yes, we actually ended the game like cool, and like really we were like, okay, that's a good place to stop. So I ended it with just describing how they heard someone humming and singing and they heard go- uh, goat bleating and things. I'm like, what the hell is that? And I just took it into almost like a movie shot bit or a narrative moment and explained it when they turned around to seen this, oh, this woman pulling out a wee goat and taking her in, taking it into the hut. Um, I and they went, oh my God, that must be the witch. And then we ended it there, you know. But for them, what ended up happening was, I did a wee bit more drama into it, but then they're like, wait, why is she not like bad like that other person's person saying like why is she gonna go in there why is she out in the middle of what looks like a battle struck area and they had all these questions that they left the game with so I left on a high note mm-hmm. but ultimately that high note had or gave them a whole bunch of other questions also the fact that they weren't sure if they were seen or not was great because they're sitting going we were seen because our stealth checks were absolute crap um, <laughs> They didn't need to do stealth checks. I just made them do it anyway because I thought it would be fun. Because I knew one of them was rolling just... Nobody was rolling rocks that game at all. So I knew they weren't going to pass it. Um, but I having a good ending is a nice way. Like If you can build in just a wee seat for a little mystery, even if it's not a big mystery, if it's just a question that you mm. leave players with, that's a great way to just have them make up their own puzzles in their yeah. head and their own mysteries. Um I don't really have anything else to add to that, so I think you can listen yeah, to Yeah, I mean, else. just kind of echoing what you're saying, like, if you can get the players leaving with questions, depending on what type of questions they are, you know, that's probably a good thing. You know, if you get them leaving, asking you and going, oh, what about this? What about that? And it's questions which are in preparation for the next time that they're going to be there then you know that's a good sign that you've got a decent ending because mm-hmm. you know if you're playing weekly or you know however often it is it then means that you know that they're going to be thinking about that until you get everybody back to start playing and you know it's going to do two things number one it's keeping their interest but also what it means is that when you sit down and go to start again rather than starting to play the game and you have to do you know a, a 20 minute recap to get everybody kind of back into the mindset and to remind them of different things that have happened they they are doing that themselves because they're really engaged um so you know a good ending you'll probably see that you'll have people asking you questions and then another thing that if you've got a good ending that you have people disappointed that it's ended that they don't realise the times went by so quick or you know whatever it is but again you know that you've got them hooked and that they're wanting to find out more and that they want to be back at the table for the next game rather than alright okay you see them looking at their watch yeah. throughout it and they're like alright okay oh, same time next week oh brilliant oh, yeah. you, you know you've got, you've got engagement at that point and, and ultimately like anything that we've talked about up until now and how you can use it and that's what you're doing you're doing it to get engagement 
Yeah, I mean, this is something that both in that Strad game and then the other guys I've spoke about loads of times, they, normally both those games, they always say, Jordan loves to end it at these good bits, and it's so damn annoying, and I'm just going, yes. Because <laughs> that's good, because obviously, I mean, usually it ends up, well, let's do a bit more, especially with the guys that drink a lot. Well, let's do a bit more, and then I do one more bit, and but before I even get through five minutes of talking, somebody's fell asleep. So it's like, okay, cool, I can just wrap it up then. It's, it's not like he's missing anything, but certainly it's nice. It's good. It feels good as a GM mm-hmm. when that happens, but ultimately it feels better for the players who desperately want to keep playing, you know, because otherwise, you know, if you can't, you don't need to have good endings every game or anything. It doesn't. You don't need everybody to be kind of watering at the mouth. But actually sowing a wee bit of mystery or a wee answer to a mystery, just a small win or a hint, mm-hmm. can be a good way to kind of just elevate an ending, if not make it better. Um, but that kind of leads us on to the last few things. We have covered, I think mm-hmm. we've already spoke about most of this, so we may, maybe won't go on as much for some of them, but we'll be linking back to maybe, so we maybe won't be talking about new things here, but maybe linking back to things we've spoke about. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what can actually ruin a mystery. So my number one thing, I hate because it happens all the time, and it's not because I'm desperate to hear the answer. I think, oh, that's so cool. It's when you have a mystery, and there's like no payoff at all. Yep. There's nothing. It just either flatly gets never gets answered. You get told it's not important, or the answer was like so not worth investigating in the first place. It just makes you just go. Oh, I've just spent seven weeks working that out. <laughs> Do have you get any examples of something like that? Yeah. So I going back to. <clears throat> the big dream sequence in our long-term campaign. So that happened, and then I was trying to get answers. So who was the woman? Who's the mysterious figure that crashed the party? And you know that sort of thing. So I'm trying to find out as much as I can. So that's in the actual game that it happened, and. I think all I got at that point was the woman's name and the fact that everybody at or everybody that was dancing in the ballroom was a dwarven god and you don't know who the person is at Crash's party. Next game, kind of try to do some more digging, don't get anything back. Next game, same thing, and I go right, okay, well, me as a player at that point I went, right, okay. This is important because it's obvious it's important because it took up a decent section of the game and, you know, all this happened. That has to be important. So what we'll do is I'll sit on it and I'll revisit this in two, three games' time or whatever or I'll wait and I'll try to pick up the cue from the, the DM that there's now something happening that's worth investigating. So anyway, so a bit of time goes by and uh, I, I, I get whatever hint and I go, all right, okay, and start mm-hmm. investigating it some more and I then find out that the mysterious person who crashed the party was in fact our, our turtle tortoise pal who's... Yeah, in human form, yeah. by the way, I... Oh whatever form he actually had but yeah, not, so, not in turtoise form but at that point we didn't know that yeah. was the case we were yeah. we were thinking he, he exists as 
a talking tortoise mm-hmm. and that he's got amnesia or something. But then we go, wait, so that's him in a kind of humanoid form. So is that what he's actually supposed to be like? And something's happened and he's been trapped inside this tortoise. And is that why he's a bit dopey? And, you know, so it starts a new level of kind of analysis. Mm-hmm. So we all start going through that. But at this point, I still don't know anything about the, the woman in the dream other than her name. And that she was given the warning, and I'm I'm kind of having to draw my own conclusions as to why all the gods have disappeared when he came in, and you know all that sort of stuff. So I'm putting two and two together that Mister Tortoise is bad, mm. you know. But that's that's as much as I can draw from that, and that Mister Tortoise as a humanoid is more bad than Mister Tortoise. So, you know, that's that's as much as I managed to draw from that. Anyway, a little bit of time goes by again. I kind of try to bring it up. We end up visiting a, a town that's got almost nothing in it apart from a cathedral. And then we're in. And then we see... In fact, no, that was that was after. That, that sorry, is, that was... Uh, yeah, that was after I'm getting ahead of myself. So anyway, so I kind of try and you know, make inquiries about it as I'm going along and I don't get anything back. So again, this is getting to the, the two year point or whatever, or a year and a half by the time that this was introduced. But the the long and the short is a lot of time is going past, you know, out with the game. And I've, I still haven't got any answers here. And it's starting to get to the point that I'm going, well, I actually get any answers here. So then <clears throat> my character died. I think, again, I might be mixed up. He might have been alive at this point. He might mm-hmm. not have been. I don't think he was. I think he died. Then we end up in this town that, again, has got nothing in it apart from this cathedral, essentially. So we go in and then we look and then on the wall there's masks, but it's of the dwarven gods. That's right, yeah. And then up and above... In its own spot, there's a new mask that's appeared that nobody recognises. And through a bit of digging, we discover it's a, a tortoise palm. But this was after the character that had the dream sequence had died. Mm-hmm. But that was the kind of first time that was potentially revisited over, a, again, a period of a year and a half, two years. And that's basically as much information as we got that the person that was there went, huh, that's funny, that mask wasn't there yesterday. And that was basically as far as we got. So, you know, regardless of my original character being there or not, we're at a year and a half, two years of where we are, and we're no further forward to finding out more details about this woman and who she is and how she fits in the picture. And the kind of the true plot that's going on in the background so for me it's he he started off with something that was mysterious and interesting and that it was you know unique at this point in the game and you know it, it filled you with 
intrigue and excitement and you wanted to know more than what was going on and then it just felt like it hit a wall and never get started again so for me that it eventually got to the point that I went I don't think I'm even going to bother asking about this anymore mm-hmm. because it's either been forgot about or there was a plan to do something with it and then the plan has changed but rather than out a game going by the way I was thinking about doing something but I've changed my mind on it so you know your character might still be puzzled with it but I'm just telling you just now there's no point in you thinking about it and you wasting your time just sit back and enjoy the rest of the game you know there was no you know there wasn't anything like that going on so there's this mystery which is still overhanging the campaign but for me it just feels like we're getting absolutely nowhere with it so it just it's like a groundhog day you're just repeating the same thing over and over again it's just perpetually hanging about yeah I would say kind of on that as well that there's nothing wrong with if players don't explore hints which is very possible in some in some mm. of these cases um, there's nothing if players don't explore hints and don't get stuff that's okay too the only thing I would caution towards that when it comes to his, uh, mystery with no payoff like what mm. you're talking about <clears throat> is when I'm trying to think the best way to describe it, it basically if, if just bear in mind if you're going to put something really hard in there especially something that's going to might be integral to what's going on you need I think the best way if you want it to be really good and you want mm. it to be a great mystery you need to be really careful about how you implement it and you need to know how players will solve it you know you mm. can't just throw it in and then go let's see if they can figure it out because what's probably going to happen, like your character's now dead, just to fill in some context as well, that tortoise was one of the other players in the campaign, lost a tortoise in another realm, and now they can't get it back. So at this point, we've not had it for probably seven months of real-time life playing or something like that, if not a bit more. So there was a long period of time... Yeah, yeah I suppose when you factor in, yeah. The fact uh, that we've kind of yeah, it, you know, it was at least three or four months now, I would reckon, probably six or seven, where we've not even heard from this thing either, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it is definitely a case where that's where maybe more frequent breadcrumbs or dreams would have been. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a couple of dreams that my guy had that referenced it, I think, since mm-hmm. then, but you're speaking about two over however many months it was. Yep. So I would just caution against it and be wary of it. Don't make something so ambiguous that it just becomes boring to think about because it happens. Um, but yeah, so I think as well, one thing just on this note, this is more just a point rather than, we've never, mm-hmm. at least I've never experienced this. Well, I've, I've seen it happen, but our guy doesn't do it. Yeah. And that's spoiling the plot for players. I've seen people talk about their campaigns. They go, Jordan... No, I, I'm happy talking to other GMs about their campaigns, even if I'm playing on it, because ultimately I want them to have fun as well, even yeah. if they are running. But I've had people like during game and during breaks say, oh, well, this is what happened. And they've spoiled story points. And I kind of go, but why? Like, yeah. I, I, I get maybe letting people have a peek behind the curtain. There's nothing wrong with that. But I would only really suggest doing that when they've actually whether they've missed that part of the story and they're not going back to it or they've solved it you can then fill them in and the rest of the stuff assuming it doesn't spoil stuff later on but 
just be careful because if you just go in and ultimately spoil it, let's say somebody's taking too long a puzzle and you just say, oh, well, this is the answer, just whatever, you, you might take away what that player feels like is progress. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, there's nothing really to add to that unless you've got something specific. But otherwise, I think, I mean, it's just more advice, more than... Yeah, I mean, again, it's dead obvious, don't... Yeah. <laughs> don't reveal the plot before the players have managed to explore it and work their way through it. Especially if they're engaged with it, because otherwise yeah. it'll feel like snatched, you've snatched yeah. it from them. Yeah, if, if you've got players that aren't engaged, and if you do that, then potentially you can get them re-engaged yeah. if they feel like they're you know they're wasting time or that they're that they're not getting or understanding something if you kind of level with them in a couple of points it might be enough to get them re-engaged probably unlikely but potentially that's what can happen if you know they're in that sort of category but if you've got somebody that's totally engaged, that's trying to figure out a puzzle or they're trying to think for themselves about the kind of wider context of whatever situation they're in, they're going, right, okay, I know that somebody told me to meet them at midnight outside the cathedral, but, you know, they're somebody that's law-abiding and wouldn't be sneaking out and wouldn't be this and wouldn't be that so why are they telling me to do all these things that's completely against their character and you know they're sitting trying to puzzle that out and then you chime in with oh but it's because they're possessed you know you've you've <laughs> you've taken the surprise away you've taken the mystery away kind of the whole point of us talking just now so you've done all that but also the person has went from being engaged to as soon as you give them on a plate you can totally kill it like you're saying but also there's again hopefully everybody's got good tables and everybody trusts each other and they all get along and you know all the rest of it but if you if you're as advert as giving somebody a plot detail as that then you need to think about the kind of subtext of what you're saying especially if it's in the context of a puzzle or whatever oh by the way because you're obviously not going to get this because you're too thick to puzzle it out here's the answer again might not be what <laughs> might not be what you're thinking it might not be what you mean it might literally just be because the GM's there everybody's going through the story everybody's engaged the GM's excited and they accidentally blurt something out Mm-hmm. You know, it might not be a deliberate thing, it might not be a conscious thing, but you need to think as well about the kind of implications of some of the reveals and what they what they might actually mean. So um again, I've not seen it actually physically happen in front of me. Everybody that I've played with has been <laughs> professional enough or polished enough to kinda not tell you the answer before the, you've been given a chance at working it out and as well going back to the dream sequence after my character died I went this is obviously something that directly relates to him so I directly asked the DM about it I went alright okay well, you know, what was going on there blah blah and I went oh, I'm not telling you because it's you know never get told directly it's still related to the campaign but never got told that it didn't relate to the campaign. 
which is why we're now in this position two years down the line when we're still waiting on an answer, which well, doesn't feel like it's going to well, appear. We're not really seeking the answer, I think, now. Yeah. But, I mean, this, that kind of what you're saying there, it kind of it links in with... Like, you can do the opposite. Like, you can you can have people working up to book fi- figuring it out and then you spoil it, you know. And things that made spoilers, like, but when I had Baba Lazaga come into the game, and I went, oh, you mean Baba Lazaga? And they're like, what? You may know the whole Baba Yaga thing, mm. whereas the character in the game is Baba Lazaga. Um, but it's basically the same basis. It's, that's mm. what it's based on. It's based on the European Baba Yaga. Um, so they, they all know that sort of stuff. And they went, oh my God. I just went, anyway, I just kept going. Because it's like, I mean, I could sit and go, ah, well, I screwed up. But I mean, it didn't really matter. They, they, they were going to play it anyway. Mm. I mean, they'd already suspected it anyway and they were saying it. And I just yeah. kept like this. Um, yeah. But and kind of ultimately with that that's when you kind of go back to the, mm-hmm. the toolkit beforehand and you go right so their expectation now is that this is going to happen so let's throw them a couple I, I, and I did almost killed them but all actually so whoops um, but you can do the opposite is, is that throwing them a curveball or just revenge I was just throwing a massive rock is what it was it was the house through anyway it was awesome and nobody died but um, so we spoke about build up and things but the other thing you can do this is just more a pointer you know sometimes it feels good and sometimes as a GM you might think you know like oh this is great it's all very clear but just make sure you're leaving breadcrumbs for, crumbs for stuff that are clear and if you're not sure put in dream sequences use other things to help answer some of the mystery for the players <coughs> and the way to do that if you don't do stuff like that and you assume people have figured out all your puzzles and they've plotted together all the red tape and they've sussed out what's happening in your mystery you know you can actually if you don't give proper build up by thinking about that stuff on the route to actually giving someone a plot twist or a big narrative hook no build up can totally screw up your mystery completely and then you basically what it what effectively happens is you will basically spoil some of the questions they have because there's been no build up to get their brains ticking yeah um, so just bear that in mind is, is all um, I think one of the things I've seen a lot of this uh, and it's basically being it's your, your phrase, so you can coin it. But the thing, I, I've been in a lot of games with this mystery. Mm-hmm. And the, the sort of, the ambiguity is like very pretentious. And it's almost like the, the GM's been enjoying basically saying bugger all to you, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Jamie's got a good phrase for it though. Yeah, so being vaguely vague. Yeah, that's literally it. It's, it the thing is, I get it. You want people mm-hmm. to start, you want to build and encourage mystery and not give answers mm-hmm. all the time because you shouldn't give answers all the time. The problem is, if people are like going, I don't know, now I was saying earlier about a game I was watching, I said, what the hell's going on? And I was saying it out of enjoyment. But people might say, what the hell is going on? I have don't have a clue what to do. Mm-hmm. And if you just sit and go, oh, well, we have to figure it out. Yeah. It's just, you You could have a great mystery there, but people are just going to completely turn their interest from it, which is kind of what's happened with this um, turtle thing. Yeah, I mean, the thing as well with like being vague, it's, it's a... It's a, it's a really, really fine line and I would say there's a difference between being vague and keeping it ambiguous. Yeah. Ambiguous, to me, when something's ambiguous, to me it at least feels like there is an outcome but you're not sure whether it's 
A or B mm-hmm. or A, B or C or whatever. But when it's vague, it it just feels woolly and it feels like there isn't an outcome and that, you know, it's it's just it's it's getting made up as it goes along, but not in a good way where the DMs reacting to players and is kind of busking with what's going on for want of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um and that's 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 kinda the way that I would kind of differentiate between ambiguous and being vague. And because of that being vague is always kinda a bad idea I think again ambiguous but different because you've got your planned outcomes or you've got potential direction to take it and kind of going back to build up if something is vague then it it kills build up as well because you've got the players that go they feel lost whereas when it's ambiguous they go well it might be this this or this but they've got a clear path of where it can go whereas when it's vague it's they're confused they're going I don't know if this person is planning on robbing a bank I don't know if they are you know if they're they're pretending that they're going to do that because there's some other outcome I don't know if it is actually this group of people that are going to do that I don't you know it it, it involves a lot of I don't know mm-hmm. rather than I think that if it's ambiguous to go, mm, well, there's this and this, but I think this is what's going on. Whereas when it's vague, it's, I don't know if they're doing this, I don't know if they're doing that, I don't know if they're doing that. I don't know what's going on. And and I think that's the thing. If you're a, a DM, to sit and monitor what the conversation is. If you've got three or four people there and the biggest majority of what they're saying to each other is, I don't know, it's too vague. They're not getting it. They're lost. If they're saying, yeah, I know that this is what you're thinking, but I think that this is probably more in the the realm of it being ambiguous. And ultimately it will kill build-up because if they don't have a starting point, they don't know the next point to go to. And as well, if if you're being so vague that they're not clicking along and they're not following along, then it gets to the point when you do your big reveal but the players are sitting scratching their head because they've missed all the clues beforehand and they haven't realised there's been a build-up. There might be build-up there, but they've completely missed it. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's going to happen sometimes, especially I've seen a lot of kind of cosmic horror games, people running the games, that just, cosmic horror is very abstract and it can be difficult to nail down and sometimes it's a bit of an acquired taste. Do you know what I mean? Like It's like art house films are an acquired taste uh, I won't go into the Blade Runner thing I was about to use that as an example but I'm not going to go there um, but it is, But if you notice your player saying I don't know instead of I think that then don't be afraid of throwing in a wee bone throwing in a new mystery mm-hmm. just divert their attention say, don't worry yeah. about that yet what are you working on now and then just do a wee dream sequence mm-hmm. putting your breadcrumbs down and that will solve it but just be aware just don't indulge in just people being completely like frustratingly clueless or fr- mm-hmm. clueless in a frustrated way is all I would say mm-hmm. um, and this takes us on to the last point mm-hmm. and that is I'm torn with this one it's monologues 
uh, monologues in games they can be good for expedition and things like that the problem is they can go too far just like pretty much everything we spoke about too much of it ruins the whole mystery and monologues can be a way to not provide proper build up actually I've seen it used as a poor use Uh, people have used that as a way for build up but it's just a poor use of it I've seen it be being used that ends up spoiling plots. Um, monologues ending in a monologue can quite often not be quite a good ending. Although sure it can if there's a real reveal that's in there, mm-hmm. but I've also seen it just also just end up in vague philosophical arguments between one character and that's all like between themselves. Mm-hmm. And quite often times it's just used as a pure lore dump instead of an implementing story building in your world and through characters and encounters quite often not if it's not it's not just if if it happens in your games it doesn't mean you're bad or anything like that i just see that getting used almost like a plaster and i won't go into examples because it will take us it'll take us over two hours for it but it's it's something to just be wary of monologues is all i would say because or use them carefully and use them with real intent mm-hmm. behind what you're doing yeah. because otherwise what happens is it becomes a lore dump and really that takes away player agency which we've spoke about at length before Before, but as soon as you take away that agency and you're effectively wanting to do your, your speech to the players you've disengaged the players and you're now making them listen to you and if, if you've not done the build up and the mystery and you've not got the puzzle pieces in place then it's not going to be an engaging conversation and ultimately just going to be boring for the players. I don't know, any, any thoughts on that other than what I've just said? I mean... I, again, I'm echoing pretty much everything that, that you've said. The thing, and, and again, kind of like compare and contrast, a monologue, well, that is somebody doing a pre-rehearsed speech basically, so whether it's the DM or whether it's one of the characters that, eh, not characters, sorry, whether it's one of the players that's there that's, you know, came up with something, but the long and the short is a monologue is a pre-rehearsed speech or it might not be pre-rehearsed, but it's a speech which ultimately means that there isn't any engagement between other players and other characters because they're going from first sentence to the next one to the next one to the next one to the next one until they've finished so for me personally I'm not a fan of them because it feels like I'm getting shut out and again that's not pointing fingers at different DMs and GMs and things but just by their nature you're going right this has started there's probably going to be something important in it, so I just need to sit and listen for the next however long this is going to be. And although I want to engage and I want to be doing stuff, I can't because I need to listen for the important bit of information. And you know, it just it, it just doesn't suit me and it doesn't gel with what I want to do in, in the games. Whereas if you've got like the DM that's got a group of people in and they're you know they're coming away with whatever they're coming away with and somebody heckles them or whatever and then they're being reactive to that Mm -hmm. then you go right okay well that's totally different to me because it's 
it's living and breathing, it's there, it's it's moving about, it's doing its own thing, whereas the monologue is just fixed and anchored and it's just something that I just don't particularly like. Yeah. And again, like you're saying, it, if that is the case, then it just becomes an excuse to lower dump and just go, oh, this happened, this happened, you know, this person has got delusions of grandeur and they think that they're like reincarnated God so they're going through this big epic speech and oh you're doing this going why can I ship uh, yeah yeah that's that's exactly what's going through your head right when can I do this when can I do that the only time when it actually works in okay is if you're on Rogue 20 or something you can kind of privately message somebody and go right I'm going to do this and after I do that, see if you do this, I reckon we can get them down in like three moves. Oh, that's a great idea. And you know, you're <laughs> you're getting some collaboration going on beforehand yeah. and you're giving yourself an advantage and you know, you're using your time productively, shall we say. Um but I, I mean that's that's the main things that you're killing engagement with it. For me personally, it's something that just doesn't click with me at all. And again, yeah. it can be an excuse to lore dump which for most players is going to put them off and for the players that are interested in lore what you're doing is you're giving them it there and then with no option but to sit and examine it rather than if you went and if they bring whatever up in your game oh when it this particular area why is it that you know everybody walks about and all the wear is sandals I don't know you know mad sandal wearing race of people whatever and they're turning up to you and they're asking about it in their time when they're ready for it and if it's something that you've created that you're proud of or that you're invested in chances are you're happy about talking about it at any time anyway so when it again when it comes to creating mystery then again monologues I don't think current nine times out of ten because you're directly telling the player something rather than an event happens which allows them to then explore and figure it out mm -hmm. whereas if you cut off the time that they get to think interact and puzzle stuff out then you're killing the mystery dead because you're just telling them what it is but in a roundabout way yeah i mean basically monologues can be uh, there is use for them but they can be a way to just they just add rigidity to your game. They make them rigid, and what I would actually think always suggest is just be flexible. Explore, try different things. If you screw up your mystery, you can always repair it, and then you know what to try better next time. But yeah. monologues, I've seen people just fall into this trap where every character uses a monologue, and it's like, oh god, here we go. Mm -hmm. I came up in that Star Wars game we done, and I just shot that woman. So I bum bum bum. This has had enough, yeah. and it's like, oh, she was a Jedi, and then someone was healing her, and I went two minutes, bum bum, finished right. her off. Was a Jedi. Yeah, was a Jedi. But anyway, that's us uh, with mysteries. So you've heard our thoughts. We would love to hear what your thoughts are, whether you're GM and you've heard some of our stuff, and you say, I hate that. I think monologues are great. Tell yeah. us why you think we're wrong, and you might change our minds. Maybe not Jamie's on monologues, and probably not mine either. But <laughs> look, you might say something that's interesting. You might say something that maybe tw twists our mind a bit. So yeah. we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Players, have you heard anything that you've at least seen in your games and experienced it and either agree or disagree? We'd love to hear it. Um, but yeah. I think other than that, 
you know, thanks for listening and watching. Um, and it's bye from me. Do you yeah. want to finish anything off? Yeah, just again. Although I'm pretty hard and set in my opinions on monologues, we're always more than happy to yeah. listen to anybody's opinion because if if you stay close-minded about something, then you might just miss something that's yeah. a total gem. So if you've got an opinion that differs from us, if you agree with us as well, then... If you're on YouTube, there's comments underneath. There's also Facebook, Discord, there's Instagram, there's Twitter as well. So get in touch somewhere. And uh, yeah, so bye from me. And bye from me. See ya. See ya.